This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by UBCP ACTRA, a.k.a. the Union of British Columbia Performers. UBCP is an autonomous branch of the Alliance of Canadian Cinema, Television, and Radio Artists, the national organization of professional performers working in the English language recorded media in Canada. For more information about UBCP ACTRA, visit ubcpactra.ca. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart of the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work, capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Ronnie Firminger, and today I am absolutely thrilled to welcome Catherine Lawhagquist back to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. For three seasons, Catherine, who from this point on I will refer to as Kat because that's how I've got her filed in my brain, portrayed General Petra Bellwether on Freeform's Motherland Fort Salem. Motherland Fort Salem imagined a world where the witches of Salem entered into a pact with non-magical humans that made them a celebrated and powerful military force. And General Bellwether rose through the ranks and the series to become the highest ranking witch in the military. This gave Kat the opportunity to finally kick ass, both literally and figuratively, which she discussed during her first appearance on this year podcast after Motherland's first season. There's a scene in the first season where Petra and her daughter Abigail unleash their magical fury on a force that has dared to disrupt the wedding of their kin. The scene left me breathless. And for Kat, it was a career highlight. And it was only the beginning. This most recent season of Motherland Fort Salem, which was its triumphant third and final season, contained multiple moments where General Bellwether and Cat left me breathless. Season three saw Petra trying to protect witchkind while under the constant surveillance of an antagonistic, non-magical civilian state embodied by Victor Webster as vice president and Battlestar Galactica veteran Aaron Douglas as Petra's civilian minder. I used to think of Petra as a rule follower, but that was when the rules were fair. The new rules about and around witches were inarguably unjust, and so Petra skirted them on numerous occasions, leading to my new favorite cat law hack was seen of all time in the episode aptly titled Petra's Favorite Pen, wherein Petra shows that a magical pen is mightier than any magical sword. We are the daughters of ancient lines, she says with righteous fury. We are called to greatness. Oof, Jules! Today, let's celebrate General Petra Bellwether, her military and maternal might, and the phenomenal woman who brought her to life. Kat LaHyquist, welcome back to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Wow, what an introduction. Thank you so much. What a role. I saw 
general bellwether change over the three seasons of Motherland Port Salem. How would you describe Petra's transformation over those seasons? Evolution. And mm. I think that the gift they gave to Petra was that she didn't lose the wisdom she amassed when new information came along. Mm. And so I think she was very much um, conforming to the wisdom from Dr. Angelou, who said that when we know better, we do better. And I think that was a guiding principle of of Petra's arc over the three seasons. I think what made her a good leader is she valued her her people to begin with. Mm. But I think she wasn't afraid of them knowing more than her. I think that all good leaders surround themselves by people with expertise that they don't possess so that they can amass that to uh, to the benefit of all. And I think Petra typifies that. Yeah. I mean, I mentioned that episode. Petra's favorite pen. Tell me what your reaction was when you read that episode and specifically the pen scene. I'm assuming that scene was as special for you as it was for us who got to watch it. Oh, it was <laughs> after having to sort of take it for so long while trying to figure out the appropriate strategy mm-hmm. that kept her having access to her her army, but also kept her trying to move forward in the fight. It was so gratifying to to see that she found a way to to get her power back. Mm-hmm. And that sometimes not perceiving someone to have power doesn't mean they don't actually have it. Sometimes they're holding it in reserve to the right and appropriate use of it. And I think that was a really well-crafted approach to her having strategized how to and when to use her her abilities to try and move things forward. So. You looked like you were having fun. Like, I'd assume that for Petra, I mean, it would be like really like satisfying to kill that guy. And yes, this episode will contain spoilers about Motherland's (laughs) third season. If you haven't seen it yet, pause now. Go to Disney Plus. Welcome back. So, I mean, I'm sure it was satisfying, but, you know, not super fun for her. But was it fun for you? Oh, my goodness. Jem Garrard was directing. And no, oh, that was a that, that was, was a gem episode. episode. Wow. And, and I had like the most amazing scene partner in Aaron Douglas, who could not have been more present and generous and and just so much fun to work with. So, yeah, it was just it was just perfect on all on all fronts. And and also just the collaboration, you know, being able to sort of add things. Um, I I I love that. The fact that Petra and Alder, while in disagreement, were never lacking in connection. And I think that there's a moment in that scene where Petra draws strength from what she learned from Alder mm. and, and uses that. And I think that that's important, that, that, that we don't assume that men in competition with each other hate each other. But there's always this sort of trope that women in competition with each other can't also find a way to navigate the waters of mm. of moving in the same direction. And I think that, that I, lo- I love that that evolution of their relationship. And I think that really ki- kicks up there as well, because I think Petra makes the decision feeling feeling inspired by, by Alder. I definitely felt... Petra's respect for Alder in that scene, which I didn't always feel. Um, Did you play it from a place of her liking her, like along the way? Like, do you think that, did your Petra like Alder? I think 
their relationship is complicated. I think, you know, given how old and established Alder had been in this world. Like hundreds of years Exactly. Old, yeah. And Petra, you know, it's Alder would have a been a contemporary of her grandmother. So mm. for Petra, she would have been a hero figure. Yeah. And the closer, you know, and they, they say, don't meet your heroes. Don't meet your heroes. So I think the closer and higher Petra rose through the ranks, um, I think it was in service to what she idolized about Alder. Mm. And then, you know, seeing how the sausage is made, I think caused her to question all that she had fought for, all that she believed, all that she had sacrificed her soldiers for. Mm. Um, and I think that was a guiding principle for the first couple of seasons. And then I think, you know, once she got the job, which she had been sent on a quest to get by her mother in honor and service to her grandmother, I think I think she realized that it was a lot more complicated, it was a lot more nuanced. And I think season three is about her gaining an understanding of the choices and sacrifices Alder made that were different from necessarily what were broadcast and shared with everyone. Mm. And I think that caused her to move from protecting and living the doctrine to making the next right decision. And mm. I think that was a, a paradigm shift in how she led and how she processed what had gone before. So I think she she reevaluated the judgments she may have made about Alder previously, because mm. now that, you know, heavy is the head that wears the crown. Oh, so it's so heavy. <laughs> is, is there anything that Petra did over the course of the three seasons that you just didn't understand and like as an actor oh. do you think it's important to agree with your character's choices do you need to agree with them in order to to breathe life into them i don't know that you need to agree with them because they're execution of a choice and an understanding but mm -hmm. i think you'd have to delve into understanding why and finding a logic to them even if it's a flawed logic mm. having an authentic reason that they're doing things and that in their mind they're doing the best possible thing they yeah. can be doing and i think that that you know I, I i remember hearing that as a as a way into playing villains and and evil characters and that they don't think that they're evil they don't think that they're doing something wrong they have some righteous reason that they think mm. that the, the evil things they are doing are in service to others. And I always found that a really disquieting concept. But as I look at the world writ large, as well as look at, you know, characters who may execute in ways that I wouldn't, I find it a really useful pathway into sort of understanding what makes them think this is the best thing to do at this moment. Yeah. Besides the pen scene, which, mm -hmm. as I say, like that, I think has definitely like usurped that scene from uh, season one as my favorite <laughs> cat you. scene. Um, but what were some of your other favorite scenes to either shoot or to read in season three? Um, the scene in the mirror with Abigail. Oh, and the reunion scenes with Abigail, and the opportunities to tell Abigail that she was seen and appreciated for the way she was developing as a woman and as a soldier. And um, there were. I think they're important because I don't think we celebrate each other enough. Mm. Um, and I think that there's a lot of family dynamics that this show exposes and I think serves a guiding path to, yeah. you know? I mean, I think there's a lot of 
reasons Petra could have been written to to be fearful of her daughter rising or her different vision or her, or not um, being brought to to conform. And I think that that Petra is given the opportunity to see and appreciate and lean on and utilize and collaborate with her daughter, um, I think is really meaningful. So the scene in the mirror um, and then the scene when, when they're reunited and that mm. uh, Anacostia has brought them together. And, Anacostia. Yeah, oh. Yeah. R.I.P. Anacostia. Um, I wonder how much of that is just the way that the society also is is formed like you know it's a lot more collaborative society you know in some ways i think think it would have to be if you have you know marriages that only last for five years or marriages simultaneously with multiple people you know everybody has to you know at least that's the, what the bellwether household is like right <laughs> we have a schedule on the fridge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um this season featured an incredible cadre of guest stars, as the previous seasons did. Um, highlights for me included Candace McClure, Amelia Ulrup, returning Pranit Akila, Aaron Douglas, and also returning fave Cheryl Lee Ralph as the president yes. of these here United States. Now, Cheryl Lee Ralph, as listeners might know, recently won an Emmy Award for her work as Barbara Howard on Abbott Elementary and deliver delivered one of the best acceptance speeches of all Time. That's in all caps in my notes. Absolutely. You shared scenes with the president, a.k.a. Cheryl Lee Ralph. What did it mean for you to share scenes with, you know, what, the original dream girl? Um, it just built on what it was like to work with her. You mm. know, she was so collaborative and kind and funny and uh, a true force of nature. She is, she, you know, that that isn't the cameras are rolling Cheryl Lee Ralph that is how she walks into a room and you just mm. feel the air shift around her and therefore radiate around you differently like it's she's a presence and and it was a real gift to get to spend time in her space and hear her stories and feel her energy and I found it very inspiring and yeah. I found that um that she found so much joy in having her work appreciated um, because I think she takes what she puts out into the world very seriously. And so to have it received and acknowledged and appreciated in such a public and meaningful way and in a rarefied way. I mean, she's only the second woman, black woman to, to win the Emmy uh, in that in Shaking that my head because that is bonkers. Yeah. So I think just to to know that 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 joy we were witnessing would have been just infectious in the room. Made yeah. me so happy. Yeah, I'd love to hear that. What about challenges of season three? Oh my goodness! What challenges did you face? You know, either, you know, um, and I, I, I don't see challenges as a bad thing necessarily. It's just something you know overcome, right? You know, so what yeah. challenges did you did you face? You know, in your work as Petra? Well, um, you know, the COVID of it all. Oh, <laughs> uh, is season that still going? Well, yeah, yeah. A little this bit, yeah. Season two, we prided ourselves on being one of the safest sets in the city. Like, and that was pre-vaccines. That was pre, you know, we just had really rigorous, strict protocols. And those protocols didn't loosen for season 
three, but mm. but the the virus leveled up and came yeah. for us, came for us with a quickness. So mm. there there were times where our schedules would change as we arrived at work, and I mean there were days we would have one director in the morning and a different director in the afternoon or you know we were working on four different episodes during the course of a week like it oh. was it was a real challenge and a test to to the clarity of communication to be able to show up to be at the right place in the story with and and to remember what had preceded and what comes after and where you are and 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 the team really rallied i mean you know it was a collaborative effort and everyone leaned in to make it possible but it, there's it was that a- word again collaborative but that's what <laughs> that's what film is and that's what a healthy yeah. production is is yeah. one that is truly collaborative right yeah and i think that the fact that it i, th- I don't know that it would have been as as effective in season one not because hmm. not because um the people were different but our our shorthand our flow our ability Mm. to just roll with it had so leveled up through season two that by the time we had these challenges in season three we'd been kind of waiting for them we'd been kind of bracing we'd been hearing what had happened on other productions and we were grateful that we were able to to keep going there were other shows that had to shut all the way down to shut and so we people just were like okay cool we'll take today and just they would step up and and bring it and i think none of those challenges are reflected in what we see on screen. Mm. And that's also, I think, a real testament to everybody pulling together because these stories are so important to us. I mean, none of us are missing how allegorical and necessary these stories and these lessons and these relationships and, and these representations are yeah. in, the, in the world. And that's why I remain ever grateful that we got the heads up with time to use it that this would be the third and final season because that allowed the writers to craft conclusions that make embarking on the motherland journey still worthwhile and satisfying because it doesn't just drive off the edge of a cliff like we know how it ends and i think that's what starts people into a series they may not have discovered before and we're so grateful that that our our community of of friends called the switches continue to amplify hashtag switches hashtag switches continue to amplify and and be grateful and be um, participatory in getting the word out about this show because that we aren't making more doesn't mean we aren't incredibly proud of what we did create and that we want others to continue to find it and experience it and learn from it. Yeah. You mentioned the allegorical nature Mm. of Motherland Fort Salem. Um, And I I definitely see that too, especially, I mean, as we were talking before we start recording about just the all the the injustice in in the world right now and how we do seem to be repeating a lot of our not our but uh humanities um well acts of inhumanity against mm-hmm. each other which we i noted some parallels uh in the third season of motherland fort salem uh especially but what parallels do you see between the events of motherland fort salem and our current trash fire of a world <laughs> Um, if any. And I say trash fire, you know, with an asterisk next to it, because while there is so much injustice and oppression and inhumanity, there's also a lot of bravery and courage, you know, and people rising to the moment. So, yeah, it's not a complete trash fire. Well, I think one of the, the most obvious is when the witches are starting to be collared um, and uh, and, you know, the direct parallel to just bodily autonomy to be able to do with your body what it is designed to do 
um, yeah. at your decision and choice and safety and health. Um, I think that is, and I think that it it's the physical working of body as much as it is the power of voice mm. and, and stating one's intentions in the world. So I think it hits on a couple of different levels, that whole concept of curtailing people from their true power and true ability to decide for themselves and live their lives. Um, wow. I mean, I, I didn't even make that connection watching it. Um, although I felt the fear, I definitely felt uh, the fear and injustice. I think just because I'm living in that space where I'm so laser focused on what's going on in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. What kind of conversations were you having on set, though, about like, were there any conversations about the parallels between, you know, the injustices that we see in the zeitgeist, you know, and what what we see play out in Motherland Fort Salem? I think. Well, first of all, I think there's just sort of an understanding and we would have, you know, our table reads over Zoom and you could sort of see different things hit different people differently because you see, yeah. you know, it's it's different when you're around a table because you're attention is focused on who's speaking mm. and so you don't have the the ability to see and witness everyone seeing and witnessing everything all the time yeah um and so it was a really interesting dynamic to be listening you know between when you're offering your lines to see what hits different people in different ways yeah. and i think that's part of why the diverse representation of of motherland is so important and so i think i think different people felt that they championed and amplified the elements that that they felt that they were stewards of. And so we didn't necessarily coordinate our efforts or have those conversations, but they would organically happen while we were filming a scene or, you know, at the end of a day or you know, they were not structured, but they were definitely taking place and and from the the lens of the person who is in that story often. Yeah. What I love about a show like Motherland Fort Salem, though, is that it gives those of us in the audience the opportunity to not just, you know, escape into a, a different world, but to also watch these issues, you know, explored and played out, you know, to a, a glorious, triumphant conclusion, you know, um, and where the a lot of the good guys actually do win and that, you know, change is possible. You know, it really kind of shows the value of of the work that you do, right? You know, Thank uh, you. in this, in this, uh, as I said, trash fire of a world. <laughs> well, and that people with the best of intentions and integrity don't always make it through. I think that's also a really meaningful mm. thing. We lose comrades, we lose people yeah, um, for the right reasons, but the wrong circumstance, like, the, mm. and, and how senseless and, and, unnecessary some of those those losses become in terms of the grand scheme of things and those were tough to take i think those were very very challenging discoveries to make as you'd get the script and be like wait what mm. oh no 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 and it's like yeah that's what's about to happen here yeah. and it was it was it was definitely challenging yeah. um so you I mean, specifically, we're talking about the loss of, of Anacostia, right? And because that was huge, because also in that moment, I mean, Petra had to you'd be like, nope, we have to fulfill this mission. We have to, we'll grieve later, you know, and then move on to the, you know, to fulfilling the, the mission. Interestingly, because Dimitri and I are so close, that definitely hit. Mm -hmm. um, but it was such a, a noble end to her arc that there was something 
somewhat like, of course she would have done that. That's who, who Anacostia was. Yeah. So there was something to that where that was a choice. Um, the one, so that definitely hit hard, no question. But I, I remember being quite shook by Lupe dying, mm. the young cadet. And that was, that was, <sighs> yeah. That to me was, you know, the embarking on her journey, the embarking on her service, the embarking on her life. Yeah. And, uh, and still coming to terms and learning what the risks were and that being what befell her. Whereas, I mean, which is not to say that, that, you know, that Anacostia was expendable. That's not it at all. No. But it's different when someone grounded in their truth and their, and their resolve is making a decision versus someone who's still exploring. Who's so new. I mean, basically at a point around when, you know, the, the young, the three, you know, leads began their, their journey, right? Yeah. You know, began basic. Um, and but that's also a reality of our war in real life. It's a yeah. lot of young, yeah. you know, young, very young soldiers, you know, who enter the military, you know, for education, for, you know, money, like for, you know, um, I mean, I, I think of where I was when I was 19 and 20, you know, like to motivated by completely different things, you know, yeah, less agency, really, in a lot of ways. Well, and I think that's also part of. You know, Anacostia is Petra's colleague, yeah. But Lupe's her responsibility. Mm. Like Lupe would, you know, and and I they just I remember reflecting on that, just sort of going, okay, this isn't even someone who's a sister soldier to me. This is one of my soldiers as Petra, yeah. And and it just it was, uh, yeah, it just really struck me, especially in the context of so many of these um, <laughs> unbelievable atrocities that are going on around the globe, where people at that age are having to make life or death decisions about protecting their lives and their families and yeah. their homes. And it's just, yeah, it was very disturbing to me. Are you grieving Petra? Um, no, no, I am so grateful to her and I'm so inspired by her mm. and I'm so, um, I will miss her for sure. But she she remains very much a force in my mind mm. you know and i and it's funny cuz it's you know how much is you how much is is her i i find her to be an an inspirational and aspirational figure for me i think that there are things i endow her with just through my physicality and mm. and my approach to her but i think you know how she's crafted leads me in interesting things to reflect on as cat and things that I want to be more like I like her clarity I like her her decisiveness I like her patience to strategize I like her um, giving voice to those who who she respects and and making sure to to state her gratitude and her appreciation along mm -hmm. the way um, you and like so, her pen. You and like, like her you pen. You know, it's funny. I get asked, what did you take? And I'm like, I didn't take nothing because it wasn't mine. However, I did acquire <laughs> through appropriate channels a few things. And so those things are, are one each in my uniform. Yeah, good. Some of my other clothes and, and a few of those pens. So, yeah, those 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 pens, those pens. Petra's favorite pens are, are now among Kat's favorite Amazing. Things. What do you like to think Petra is doing right now? 
I think, I think Petra picked really interesting husbands. Mm. So I think they gather in that front room in that big house and they have a bourbon and they have the most amazing conversations. And mm -hmm. I think she, she walks on her property and she gardens and her hu one husband makes amazing food and the other one tends bar and they just, they're a real family who, who mull things over. I think she doesn't suffer fools. So I think she would be very, um, engaged in conversation and exploring ideas with those that she chose to to share her life with yeah with those two handsome husbands three i have yeah. three husbands girl three husbands three husbands <laughs> amazing sorry i there's so many i lost count after one how do you think your time in petra's army boots changed you as an actor oh i got spoiled by the collaboration mm. But I also There's became, that word again. There's that word again. But I also became really aware about how much actors set the tone for the vibe of the day. Oh, interesting. And I'd always been aware of it as a guest artist on other people's shows. But I really, I think, grabbed with both hands the responsibility for setting that vibe mm. as, as part of, of that team and so you know little silly things like <laughs> so the beginning of season three um i was in the first scene on the very first day and demetria mckinney wasn't working that day and so i was given the yellow piece of tape that they mark on the floor or not yellow orange oh my gosh orange that has to be very specifically stated yeah orange orange tape as my mark color for the season yeah and since it was six in the morning and I was there for day one, I was like, I'm taking it. <laughs> and Amanda Tapping, who is our amazingly fearless leader and protector and defender and guide through what was about to unfold, um, came over and she's like, hey, that's so cool. You've got orange. That was my color on Stargate. And I was like, ah, yes, mm. yay. Come to find out season two, Dimitri had had orange. And Amanda had said the same thing to her. So Demetrius trying to take this orange color back. And I'm like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> and for the entire season, it became this thing between who got the orange to the point where they had to find another shade of orange so that both of us could have orange. But it gets even funnier because by the time we introduce Aaron to the mix, he's overheard asking uh, one of one of the camera department if he could have orange tape as his color because that's what he'd had on Battlestar and they were just like oh no that will not be possible and he was like very confused because he's never not had orange and then we had to sort of bring him up to speed that orange is a highly sought after color so there were just little wow. but it became this thing where you know it was a source of of amusement to those yeah Dimitri and I also like would play a game about being first back to the set, you know, like when when we're on a break, the pace of the day can depend on how quickly the actors return to their marks to keep it moving. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can get into a lull, you can get into a grind where people are taking their time. So she and I just deliberately decided to like make a game of it. So so that also became this energy vibe where, you know, different members of the crew would be running interference and we couldn't run on set because that wouldn't be safe. But, mm -hmm. you know, suddenly there'd be like five people blocking her path and then I would be going the back way or she would leave the green room early because she'd get a sense that they were almost ready. But we pasted I it up so much. I love that the general had like, had like <laughs> deployed people to like block Anacostia's path. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but we almost paced up the day so much at one time where it was primarily she and me working that we were... We were almost able to finish at lunch. 
Wow. So we kept it moving. And I just became really aware of that, that we we have a lot more power and influence. And so therefore, knowing that now, all my jobs subsequently, Mm -hmm. I've maintain that responsibility. I may be a guest, but I am a generator of energy that will contribute or detract from what's going on here. Hmm. I'm going to make sure that I'm known for it being a conscious contribution that people will smile when they see me coming as opposed to going, oh, this is going to take a long time. Oh, I love that. What was what, what happened on your last day on set? Hmm. What was that like for you? Oh, Endings, right? Yeah. I mean, as you came in here, I was talking about how, like, I'm in the last week in this specific office. Moving to a bigger office, it's going to be nice, but feeling really emotional. Things, yeah. Weird things are making me cry. So we ended in the middle of the night filming the end of Anacostia. That was your last that scene? That was our last scene. That was our last scene together. That was our last scene of work on this three-year journey. It was rainy, it was cold, it was dark, it was outside. Oh. It was 2 a.m. It was it was a lot of things. Oh. And then we come to find out that uh that the the younger ones we knew that we knew that uh that Amalia was still around because she came and sat with us in the in the uh in the green room and in the tent and she was you know fascinated by how they were going to film it and and she was just such a a delightful energy Mm -hmm. and so perky at that hour it was amazing so we couldn't it was so much fun to have amalia with us but then when we finished out come the other three who had all finished earth work hours earlier and were working the next day but they had stayed around to be there at the end to to just be in that moment with us. And oh. so it was really, there were a lot, there were tears and hugs and, and, uh, That's and yeah. Wonderful, and it was though. just really meaningful to have them there for that. Mm. You are a leader in real life. Would you say that you're more of a Petra Bellwether or a Sarah Alder? Ooh. I think I'm more of a of a Petra, yeah. Um, because I think so. If you you work with drama class or biz books, watch out if Cat has a pen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not allowed to have pens. <laughs> no more pens. You notice there are no pens in this space, I, right? I did that. <laughs> There's all sorts of fabulous, fabulous things to look at, fabulous things, but no pens. Because but... I'm like, oh, Cat's coming. No pens. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I think Alder had just such a wealth of history and experience that I don't know that there would have been a lot of people who would have proven themselves to be resources to inform her view. Mm-hmm. Like I think there'd be sources of information, but not necessarily sources of wisdom that she would go to. I think the marshal would have been one of them. I think that there's there's a few people who we meet along the way that you can see that she would have definitely respected their counsel yeah but i think she would weigh any information coming from from anacostia or from petra or from anybody else and um, not quite as the collaborative lens. to use yeah. the word that keeps coming up yeah. right so she'll receive it but then she makes the decision yeah whereas i think petra is is far more considering of other people's viewpoint experience wisdom and and again i think would seek out people who knew more than she did to make sure she's got the best of the best in terms of information yeah 
We are going to talk a bit more about the drama class uh, and biz books in a moment. But before we do, <laughs> I was wondering if there was anything that you would like to say to the has- hashtag switches. You know, these fans who I have seen the artwork that they create. I have seen the hashtags that they create. I've watched the compilations on YouTube of all the <laughs> characters. Um, you know, they're so supportive, you know, really trying to, you know, when the future was in doubt, you know, that save Motherland Fort Salem hashtag. I mean, I still see it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but, you know, the very passionate part of this uh, entire entire organism you know that is motherland fort salem what do you have to say to them uh i just have so much gratitude so much gratitude that that our efforts were recognized and received that they felt that they were represented by the characters that were compiled in this world that they related to the struggles that they, even if they didn't like what a character was doing, they never took that out on the actors themselves, mm. um, which have been on other shows where that's happened, where, you know, the, the, the actor and the character get conflated. I oh remember, gosh, they did that to Amanda Tapping when she played a meanie on Supernatural. The Supernatural fans, well, not all of them, obviously, but a lot of them did not like her character and came for her. It's 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 a thing. Yeah. So, you know, I remember at different points, especially in season two, where... Petra's starting to have more conflict with Alder, mm-hmm. and the Alder fans are 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 serious. Yeah, um, you know, there was there was some definite <laughs> disagreement with Petra's choices, but it never became disrespectful to me. And yeah. I just really re- appreciated that clarity and that kindness mm. that they were invested in the story and not uh, and not. Uh, conflating that with us trying to to bring them a good story oh good lord they even love bob fraser i mean what's not to love about bob fraser can we just take a moment (laughs) yes let's take a moment about the pantheon of epic bad guys and how he has got to be like he's up there three forever he's so gifable too a lot of the stuff that he did in season three especially um i mean i think this was the most physical uh that i saw his character um like working with him, watching him, what were some of the observations that you made? Oh, just so every take is fresh. Every take is creative. Every take is consistent for the edit, but has some spark of brilliance that you didn't get in the one before. So you're always reacting to what's about to come at me from him. (laughs) Like just an amazing, amazing performer. Um, and, And so... Uh, so interesting in the tran- the physical transformation that comes across with the clarity of his character choices because mm. he's a very handsome man yeah and yet he transforms into this creep show um that <laughs> we love you bob it, but you look like a creep show on this no, show but, uh, this is my yeah. point though like when you're talking to bob he's a very handsome man yeah. and then when you're watching watching you know his character you're just like why is he so making my right? skin I crawl <laughs> and there was one point i was watching the episode from home and he sits on my on petra's desk and i'm like get off my desk like it was just like <laughs> like just feeling the disrespect through the screen yeah. of him just owning the space and again that's just the clarity of him fully embodying every choice he made as that character uh, just being so well i will put hurst 
Alvin Hurst, I will put a link to um, the conversation that I had with Bob about his incredible career and also specifically about his, uh, this specific character yeah. uh, in the footnotes for this episode. And just uh, uh, by the by, it just this moment, I'm today years old realizing Alvin Hurst, A.H. Talk about the pantheon of bad guys. Whoa. Whoa. Right? Whoa. Wow. All right. This is going to be my segue into talking about another passion, <laughs> another main driving force in your life. I'm talking about the drama class mm -hmm. and also biz books, which kind of are, I mean, you're, you're the sister efforts. Yeah, they are sister efforts. So what, what are you, what are you cooking over there? So biz books came first and yeah. it was a bricks and mortar bookstore designed I to- I went there. Thank you. We appreciate <laughs> that. And it was, it was, built to allow people to explore the crafts in this storytelling industry so that they could, you know, I mean, if you think about a cookbook store, you can go and try a bunch of different cuisine and you're not necessarily committed to opening a restaurant. You can explore, mm. you can you can elevate your, your game for your own enrichment, or you can take that skill on the road and, and find a way to integrate it into, into the, the world of food. And that was sort of the idea behind biz books, that yeah. people could try different crafts and see what brought them joy and fulfillment and a voice. Um, so we started in 1996 in on Cordova Street in Gastown, and we curated, as a group of actors and artists, books that we thought would be useful guides for people on a creative journey about how to tell stories. Mm. And we evolved to our online and on-location format, which is what we are now. We don't have a storefront uh, in 2010, and we ship books all around the world, and they're yeah. still selected and curated and promoted by a team of of actors and we all yeah. have when you say on location like you actually have pop-ups we do right? we do we have pop-up stores at different acting studios around town so railtown actor studio uh, vancouver acting school um we've got some in the works within focus film school and on the mic training all all places oh, wow. that i work in van arts um so different different hubs of of training We'll bring us in and we'll put a selection. We also do a lot with the BC Teachers Federation, the ABCDE. We'll do their pro D days and bring books for teachers of oh. acting and writing and, and theater arts. So yeah, we it's very much about providing tools for people who want to, to tell stories. Um, and then in 2020, uh, one of the places I was teaching was this adorable little studio boutique studio called the drama class mm -hmm. in in white rock where i live and uh 2020 took us all online you just have to say 2020 yeah. and people are like oh yeah, yeah. we were there we the remember. indoor <laughs> times the online times the sourdough times so my my little studio audition class migrated online and i just was really inspired by by the online opportunities that were mm. provided. So come the fall when we had to make choices about maintaining space or how to sort of evolve this thing that had developed online, Michelle Partridge, who was the founder of the drama class, decided that she felt that she really had a passion for the in-person instruction, but didn't want to, to stay in this sort of online limbo. Mm -hmm. And I really felt that while craft classes were obviously going to start to return to in person there were a lot of different supplemental areas of knowledge for for people in in the storytelling world that could still be offered really effectively yeah. online and so we took over the dramaclass.com 
we being my husband, Neil, and myself and the team that we, we have working with us. And, uh, and we've leaned into that. So we still do some, you know, audition and scene study classes online, but we have really worked at developing really innovative and creative workshops that sort of supplement um, the creative path for actors, writers, teachers, and increasingly corporate communications. So mm. we um, we have meditation for actors coming up. We've had we've had you offer media training. Oh yeah, that's right. Oh yeah, that's right. I've done that. You know, and what I love about about this though, I mean, the the sessions that I've talked. Uh, <laughs> I'm a professional and I can talk <laughs> and I'm not a little bit buzzed from this 5% of vodka soda that I'm drinking. Um, I teach, uh, I have taught workshops about dealing with the media, how to talk to the media, how to think about the media, you know, in your career. And I have, you know, taught them for youth and for and, and their parents and for, you know, established actors and also for people who aren't actors. One of the things that I love about the drama class, though, uh, thedramaclass.com, is how my classes are full with people all over the world, right? I've ha yeah. I've had people, you know, I've ha I've had people, you know, coast to coast in Canada, and it's been really, it's it has made this information and these skills accessible to people. As long as they got an internet connection, you know, they can access like oh, what I think is, you know, uh, stellar knowledge. Well, and it dovetails so beautifully with what I believe are. The pillars of a successful career in mm. this business and i think so many people you know and I, I when i'm teaching and coaching i refer to them as the four c's and so i think most people do half the job and then wonder why they're not getting the results they want and i think the obvious half of the job are the first two c's you know finding your creative inspiration and developing your craft mm -hmm. and people kind of intuit to that quite naturally but the other two c's are the the thing that takes this from being a lucrative hobby that you do sometimes to a career that you're developing. Wait, can I guess the other two C's? Can you? I don't know. I'd love it if you can. Okay. Um, I'd be surprised if you don't get them. Oh, no. Community? That's a bonus C. Communication? Yes. Connection? Communi I don't know. <laughs> Communication is one. Yeah. I and commerce. Commerce! Because it's a business. It's a business. Yes. And a lot of people develop their creative creativity and their craft and then haven't spent any time understanding how this business works yeah. and they abdicate their responsibility for their creative business by thinking as long as they sign with an agent um, that they're just someone else is going to do that and and yet sometimes they don't even critically look at who they're going to sign with mm. they just think any you know like any a, a ship any port in a storm as opposed to how to critically think another bonus C mm -hmm. um, uh, and and <laughs> compile another bonus C information. Wow, we have so many C's here, cat. <laughs> cat that cat's another C cat's too. Another C. No, and it's true because show business is a business, and yeah. yes, the, the art of it is part of it, but there's also an art to doing business. Yeah. And right? so people don't know, and often will get outdated information. Like there's a lot of people of my generation who came up with the industry looking and feeling and behaving a certain way. Mm -hmm. And those structures have been, especially in the last two years, mm. blown up and shaken up. And so I think, I think there's a lot of needing to constantly be upgrading your knowledge about how this business works and how it's financed and, and how decisions are made. Mm. And I think the more you figure out how the business works and how those decisions are made the less personally you take it mm. because it's less about an you know an, a, an assessment of your talent or skill and it's about how do you fit into this project that we're trying to yeah to make i'm happen. sure there's another c in there 
something about consciousness or, or something. I, I compile a list of bonuses. <laughs> we work with Lane McNeil, who is our I love director, the McNeils. <laughs> right? And so Lane is our director of operations. And so she's leveled up our social media game. Um, she and our, one of our other presenters, instructors, uh, Rebecca Coleman, have just sort of shifted oh, yeah. how we... Coleman's how we, a C. There you go. Right? Exactly. <laughs> so... So, you know, we're we're sort of wanting to clarify and, and put this information out there because I think there's, you know, it's a reframe on how people train and study and prepare to work in this business. But the communication piece, even that has changed because it used to be how do you communicate with your agent? How do you communicate with your coach? How do you mm. communicate with the other actors? How do you communicate with the director? But social media, how do you communicate with your audience? How do you communicate with uh, producers? How do you communicate with, um, you know, the writers like there's so yeah. many how do you communicate on a podcast so that you I, sh I should take that one <laughs> <laughs> sign me up uh, I think you're a leader in the field my dear. is this a good time to be an actor or to be entering the the business or, or is it a particularly tough time it's a crucial time that's a C and another C. Yeah. But I, I mean that most sincerely. Yeah. I think I think the world is going through a transformation. Mm. And I think the first draft of history is always the news. The second is the textbook. But the lasting imprint on a culture is what's interpreted by the storytellers and told in the stories that get repeated. And I think that becomes the 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 focus, the purview, and the responsibility of the artists the writers, the directors, the filmmakers, the actors. And there is so much that's in flux and that has been challenged and changed over the last five years or so mm. in terms of how we treat each other, how we talk to each other, how we value each other, that I think as if and when the dust starts to settle, how we learn and grow from these challenging times will be influenced, informed, and inspired by how artists reflect them back to us. And so I don't think there's ever been a more crucial time where we've needed conscious, character-filled actors to mm. join in what will be the stories that shape how we move forward as humanity. And so I believe acting to be a very noble cause. I believe our job is to educate, inform, and inspire. And I think that People are aware of that on a subconscious level because they all flocked to Netflix during the indoor times and talked about what they binged here, there, and everywhere. I mean, even Motherland. Even Motherland. Know? Yeah. Yeah. But I think, I think, you know, when we're seeing an assault on what gets into a textbook, <clears throat> we realize that traditional forms of education, traditional forms of influence, traditional forms of information people don't necessarily know, see, or trust them anymore. Yep. And they're getting misshapen to to fit narratives that are not necessarily the ones that are going to move humanity forward. And so I think the stories that we can use to reach people in their hearts and therefore inform their actions and mm. how they will walk forward into the world having in, been inspired, I think has never been more important. What are you looking forward to currently at the drama class? I'm looking forward to programming more things that I feel I'm curious about. Hmm. And curiosity, Bronwyn Smith would beat me about the head and shoulders if I didn't 
exalt curiosity as being one of the foundational C's. It also needs to be. Okay, I need a chart. I need a whiteboard, <laughs> not a pen, Follow but a dry erase Instagram marker. For our carousel of C's. It's carousel of C's. Cats car- carousels of C's. Exactly. But but curiosity. I I, yeah. I I realize I have this opportunity to program not just the workshops that I think will be of value to others, but the ones I want to know more about. So yeah. we're working with Alan Marriott, who's in London and has written this amazing book called Genius Now. And he's going to be doing a toolbox series where he's going to do a deep dive into all these different methods of acting. Oh, wow. That that we hear about and understand and have a cursory understanding of and usually trained in one and just sort of know about the others. And he's going to do this great introduction slash refresh of all of them. And I'm really curious to hear how he presents that. So I'm that's what I'm really excited about, having access to to get these brains and and knowledge banks that I've always you know, respected and appreciated and, you know, get to delve deeper into what I'm curious about and offer it, it to others at the same time. And if a potential student has zero experience, but they have the curiosity. There's a place for them. There's a place for them at drama class. There has never been a more democratized time to get into this business. Mm. And I I love that about now, from the technology being more accessible to um, stories demonstrating people's hunger for them. I give you Woman King and the Little Mermaid and mm. just how they've been embraced by people who feel seen by by the leadership of those of those characters. So I think, yeah, I think it's an exciting time to be an actor and it's an exciting time to recognize your responsibility to support actors coming into this because at the same time as the need for actors the economy is going through challenges the dollars low the this the that the other which makes people act out of fear as opposed to inspiration and cling to things that seem traditional and stable Mm. when if this time has taught us anything there's ain't nothing stable (laughs) so therefore how do we want to spend our time here and what do we want to have as our legacy and what do we want to pay forward in gratitude to those who came before and what do we want to plant as the seeds to grow for those to come after and how do we make conscious choices based on what we value as opposed to safe choices based on what we fear mm. beautiful wait i tried to think of a c word <laughs> i couldn't think of a c word incredible there we go you ready to play some favorite things? Okay. Always. So, yeah, I think that, I mean, we're trying to figure it out. I couldn't remember. I probably should have listened to the episode uh, before, you, your previous episode before you sat down today. I can't remember if you played favorite things or not, but you think that you did. So I have different questions for you. Okay. Okay. Newer questions. So basically, um, it's not really a game. You just have to tell me what your favorite thing is of the thing that I'm asking you. Okay. I'm ready. The joy for me is the look of panic on your face. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> totally not Petra-like. I'm letting the side down. This would not be one of her expressions ever. Favorite song to blast when you are alone in your car? Oh, I think, yeah, hands down, Don't Stop Believing by Journey. Or, shockingly, Chiquitita by ABBA. <laughs> Wow, oh, that was unexpected. Somewhere out there, Brahma Smith is shaking her head in disappointment, but she knows them to be true. So Yeah, yeah. I'm um, trying to imagine the general listening to Abba in her office. I wonder what do you think her favorite song would be? Oh, she probably she's probably a jazz person yeah. or Yeah, I could see her being jazz. I got asked what her favorite song was and I, I, I don't know what it was. I think that she 
she probably liked some Pat Benatar back in the day. Oh, yeah. But but I think overall she was probably kind of a, a jazz aficionado. Yeah. Whereas Alder was more blues. Mm. Favorite activity to do in your trailer? <laughs> uh, laugh with Demetria. Mm. Yeah, we would often be found in either or trailer and just be laughing and and I remember <laughs> one point Candace joined us and we just laughed and laughed and just yeah we laughed a lot it's funny because I'm so grateful that they've released these compilations of bloopers because <laughs> every show says oh we were all friends and we all laughed a lot um but we really were so mm -hmm. when they release the bloopers you can see how quick to laugh we were because we just enjoyed being around each other so much. So yeah, yeah, laughing, laughing with Demetria and Candace. Oh, this is an unfair one. Uh oh. Favorite scene partner. Oh, I can't pick a favorite. Uh, okay. I have favorite scenes with each scene partner. Like I have a favorite scene with Taylor from season one. When really, she confronts which scene me about, was that? At the wedding when she confronts me about oh. her mom. Um, I have a favorite scene with, uh, I have a few favorite scenes with Ashley, one, mm. all of which involve me telling her I'm proud of her. Mm -hmm. um, I have a favorite scene joking with, with, uh, with Demetria when we're, when we're, she's got her bars and, and uh, we're in the big air, airplane hangar and we had a lot of fun that day. I've, I loved being in the office with Shirley Ralph. Mm. When she, you know, I'm telling her that she'll know the storm is mine when it's one of mine. Um, loved doing the scene where I'm taking out Aaron Douglas. That oh. was super fun. So good. Um, loved the confrontation nose to nose scenes with Victor Webster. Because as a tall woman, having someone taller than you, <laughs> is a it hits different. It hits different. So it was fun having those confrontation yeah, scenes with him. It was funny when, when he was on Continuum and I visited the set, like I, we took a selfie and it was great because like my, my angle is like right above my head. And so his arm was like, it, it was like a selfie stick. Yeah. You know, it was perfect. Yeah. And it was such a power <laughs> shift too, because on Continuum, I was the boss of him, but yeah. Yeah, on this show, he's the boss of me. So it was, it was well, fun no, to- No one's the boss of Petra though. <laughs> well, we allowed him to think that for a little bit. <laughs> Um, so yeah, there were just there were just favorite scenes with all of them. I know I haven't even gotten through them all. I mean, oh my gosh, any any scene we did with uh, with Emily, who played Isadora, always would you know oh, we all had yeah. to like comp we would always she always was dancing on set, you know, and humming and singing. And she's like one of the happiest, most joyful spirits you're ever going to encounter. So especially when she had you know in this season where she has much more darker work to do, mm. um, it was always fun sort of goofing around with her. So yeah, it was just always fun i think that was one of the best ways that that question has been handled on this podcast <laughs> you know you name check the most people in that favorite scene partner question there were 10 people there at least okay favorite book that you can buy courtesy of biz books hmm again that's like that's why this is a fun game for me, oh, okay, Kat? <laughs> so challenging. Um, is there anything that you've read recently you know, that has yeah, been really yeah. like paradigm what, shifting? The one that that's available at Biz Books that I'm I'm really diving into right now and have the honor and privilege of working with the author is a book called Streamlining. 
Hmm. And uh, it's written by Deanne Henry, who's a, a Vancouver actor now, uh, transplanted here from other parts of the world, but she's she's now, we get to claim her as ours. And it's a book on learning your lines. But it's hmm. about separating the left brain and right brain and how you can learn information from a relaxed place. And so there's a whole process. So not only am I really enjoying the book because it's one of those things where she, as an actor, knows what actors are going through. So mm. you'll be reading along and she's like, about now you're feeling frustrating and frustrated and you want to go back to your other way of doing it. And this is what's going on and this is how to get over it. And so you just feel like the book is hand holding you through the process. But mm. while I'm exploring the book, I'm also working with her and uh, my husband who is my my scene partner in this the era of self-tapery um <laughs> has noted how just how more effective my time spent learning the lines is how much more i embody them how how our rehearsals like the first few takes in the old way of learning them was about getting the lines in and and just comfortable yeah. and now he's like it's like the rehearsals of performance like the lines are just there solidly so that's been a real fun exploration and i it feels cool to be learning a new skill that's leveling up an aspect of the craft that i thought i had dialed but that i'm realizing a new creative freedom from and, and so exciting delight learning so Deanne's teaching me about it and uh, I'm looking forward to being able to share that with other people so that's what that's that's the book on bizbooks.net that I'm really enjoying right fantastic. now fantastic well you can find a, a link to that in the footnotes for this episode <laughs> okay you. this is the last one oh no it's today. over already well favorite things is yes oh, okay. oh, but then we are also nearing the end and then we're going to go across the street and have a drink remember so fun yeah <laughs> so fun okay 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 Favorite vacation destination? Your face got very peaceful on this side, by the way. For different reasons. Uh, my first, but all of them are anywhere I've got family, right? Mm. So, um, so grateful that we were in Australia in January 2020. Mm. Um, it was our 25th wedding anniversary year and we thought I'd be working in the summer so we front end loaded it with a trip right after Christmas and all of January and then came back and 2020 right 2020 exactly and 2020 <laughs> continued and on and yes. we did not continue traveling go figure so Australia to visit my brother and and his wife and her amazing family and my three nephews is like you know up there um but I've also been introduced to Scandinavia because Neil, my husband, is of Swedish descent. So the family reunion every five years is an amazing trip. We didn't get to go this year because it's usually on the twos and the sevens. But having been back and seeing just the warmth and and sense of family over yeah. over years and over continents that uh, that has evolved is is really wonderful. Um, it also made you know not to go back to motherland but it also made some of those lines about what's what we've lost in terms of african descended people having that connection to family i mean we when we go back to sweden we go to the little farmhouse where neil's great great grandfather was mm. born and there's a sense of continue continuity and history and and just identity that mm. comes from that and so i i very much had that the joy of that experience for the family i married into to contrast with my own experience where it's like, oh, well, my mom's people are from Jamaica, but not that 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 was a stop off from where they originally started. And I'll never go to that place because I don't know where it is. I don't know. 
you know, so it's interesting. So I love, I love that. I'm, yeah. So I love going to Sweden. I love going to Australia. And then both of my bonus daughters live in the prairies. So going to Saskatchewan or Alberta to see them and my, my grands is also a, a lot of fun. So, yeah. Wow. What different places, right? like those three together. Like that's a that's an incredible world tour uh, right there. But all family and all a vacation when I get to see them. Kat Lahagquist. Catherine Lahagquist. It's been an absolute delight having you back. Where can our fans find you, follow you, celebrate you on the social media, not in real life? <laughs> Damn, um, <laughs> stay away from real life. But, you know, social media, that's a different kind of life. So my personal socials are the at the cat LH. Mm -hmm. And I'm cat with a C. So the cat LH for La Hequist. With a C. With a C. There it is again. <laughs> um, and then um, bizbooks.net and thedramaclass.com are where we offer support for other artists who we are inviting to join us at whatever contribution they they can make to telling good stories to inspire a world that needs them. You can watch Motherland Fort Salem on Disney Plus. Explore the workshops and classes available at thedramaclass.com and find your new favorite showbiz read at bizbooks.net. And as always, thank you, Sabrina, for being such an advocate and an ambassador for all that we're trying to do in this little in this little industry. You could not be a more amazing champion of our efforts so thank you for all you bring and all you do on our behalf i will give the general the last word okay <laughs> <laughs> thank you cat thank you listeners please like subscribe leave us a review if you are so inclined they help us reach even more listeners and then we can keep having rad conversations like the one we had today i love that cat uh, is now finishing her vodka soda now that she is done her part of the podcast you can find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com follow us on twitter and facebook and instagram at yvrscreenscene and at sabrinaarmf YVR Screen Scene Podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Ronnie Mera Firminger. I am the only one to blame, and it is edited by Simon Firminger. Special thanks to Mariana Firminger for recording our Patreon ad, to Paul Firminger for technical support, and to Dane, not Firminger Develay, for the original music. But Dane, you are an honorary member of the Firminger family. So are you, Kat. I heart you. YVR Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And, hey, would you look at that? Another C word. Cut! Hey, filmmakers. Did you know that you can hire top quality, experienced, and professional actors for your films? If you're producing a student film for course credits, working on a web series, a short or a feature film, you can afford to have some of the best talent in the business in your production. How, you ask? Well, UBCP Actor has an ultra-low budget program, which offers a range of options that cover everything from student films to productions with a $300,000 budget. There is a ULB program that will meet your needs, regardless of your budget. To learn more, Visit ubcpactor.ca and look for ultra-low budget programs or email ulbprogram at ubcpactra.ca. Now is the time to jumpstart your dream for the screen.